What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Premier League Podcast here on FanRug Sports. My name is Sebastian Noren. With me, Elliot Niblock. No Polly today, Polly less, but we'll be rejoined by our New York compadre later on in the week when it's time for the Thanksgiving podcast. <laughs> the Thanksgiving special. Yes. Yeah, we'll see how we all feel on Thursday, but it will be interesting to say the least. We got to find a good time to do it too. Who knows? You know, with Black Friday basically starting today, it's Black Friday <laughs> week, you know, you never know. It's uh, I don't like the fact that stores are open on Thanksgiving. I feel like they can be closed for one day out of the year. That's okay. Yeah. I I, I don't know. It's it's funny because I think about it, you know, I've I've worked I've worked both retail and in service and somehow it doesn't bother me as much when like bars and restaurants are open because you know there are a lot of people who don't have a community for like, of friends or family to spend the holiday with and so it's nice to you know to co-opt the cheers phrase to go someplace where people know your name yes but for like target nobody gives a shit about community at target like come on guys you can at least stay closed until friday morning yeah and i feel like a lot of these you know places are opening you know, fairly early on Tuesday or uh, Thursday too. I saw because there is one uh, particular video game store that I do frequent from time to time, and they open at four p.m. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. I mean, it's I guess if you're having a family meal at one or two in the afternoon, you can still have your meal and then go to work all woozy on tryptophan, but. Yeah. Eh, whatever. It is what it is. Yep. Although, speaking of video games, I've recently, fi- I've finally come around to starting playing FIFA 18, and uh, it's, I don't know, it's worse than crack. <laughs> I'm hopelessly addicted. I'm telling you, Football Manager. Football know, Manager man, 18 just, is out now. I, the well, one of the things I like about the new FIFA is that there's the the manager mode is more in depth right like it's the simulation is a little better i'm sure it still pales in comparison to football manager yes but i still like playing the actual games themselves you know i mm. meh. i'll give it a try one of these days but i'm i'm pretty sure that i'm going to remain a dyed in the wool fifa ite yeah but you, you still got to you st- still got to try it we'll see hopefully there's a black friday deal for you out there for football manager huh all right We'll see what happens. Okay, let's get into it, though. We had some interesting results from the weekend here. As we often said, after an international break, sometimes results, they can be a bit wacky. And boy, was it wacky when Arsenal defeated Tottenham 2-0 at the Emirates. No, I'm kidding. But um, yeah, I mean, we all thought Spurs were going to win this. Maybe that Arsenal could get a draw, best case scenario. But a fairly convincing 2-0 win. Oh yeah, I mean the mo- by far and away the most prof- convincing performance of the season from the Gunners, and I, to me it's, I mean it's a lot of different things. I think the return of Shkodran Mustafi, even though he's he's made some rash challenges for during his time in an Arsenal shirt, but nonetheless he's uh, the center back of the future as Kashelny. You know, I mean Murtasacker is clearly on his way out to head the youth academy. Koscielny is also in his early 30s, but 
Mustafi is going to be the anchor of this Arsenal defense, and he put in a fantastic performance. He totally shut Kane down. Uh, even Maybe even more so, I think the wingback play of Hector Bellerin and Kolosniak were just fantastic. I mean, it was it was a complete performance. You know, I don't... There are, Some Spurs supporters might, you know, gripe about, oh, well, you know, I think that it was a light foul that was given that led to the first goal. Yeah, maybe a little, but whatever. And also I've heard complaints about both of them being maybe just half an inch, like part of their facial hair and the tip of their nose might have been offside. I don't care. I just don't. I mean, this was a comprehensive Arsenal performance, and they they deserved all three points on the day. But as you said, I mean, nobody really saw it coming because all of the pregame hype was, oh, the power shift in North London and how fantastic Spurs are. And look, they are a good team, but the better team on the pitch this weekend was Arsenal hands down. Yeah, so Arsenal, they remain in sixth place, but they're only one point behind Spurs now who dropped down to fourth. So uh, things are definitely getting interesting behind, you know, Manchester City <laughs> at the top. Man, oh man, yeah, thirty-four so, points. Yeah, I mean they're 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 far out in front, and it's it's not a one-horse race yet. But I mean, yeah, it, it practically is a one-horse race. Yeah, they took a two uh, two nothing win of their own on the road against Leicester. With uh, Gabriel Jesus and Kevin De Bruyne with the goals in that one. Well, I I'm, I want to get back briefly just to yeah, say one more it. thing about the North London derby. Is that so? I saw something I saw um, in the the Total Football podcast, which I I enjoy frequently, and I listen to you know uh, every other week or so at least. But they, their headline for this week was that you know this the the victory for arsenal over tottenham at the emirates was arsenal's cup final and it just the i know that everybody you know you support a club and you always look at the world through those rose tinted blue tinted whatever tinted glasses right like and so i understand that arsenal supporters perhaps have particularly thin skins when it comes to this, but it just blows my mind that it's just, we, we recently, like just a few months ago, won an actual cup final guys. Like, no, it's it, it was an important win. Yes. It's always great for Arsenal to beat Tottenham as for Tottenham. It's always great to beat Arsenal. Also. Yes. And it's also important in terms of, as you said, the top four race in general and the St. Totteringham's day, Arsenal, Tottenham jockeying for supremacy in and of itself. But come on, guys. Arsenal are the FA Cup holders, and they beat the champion of the Premier League, Chelsea, in the FA Cup final. And so while I'm really thrilled to relive the dominance that we saw from Arsenal at the Emirates, I also don't want to oversell it, right? Like, it, it's a great performance. I want to see more of that. Full stop. We won the derby. Let's move on and look to Thursday to play away at Cole. Hmm. Yeah, Thanksgiving soccer for you. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, Thanksgiving, yeah, that will be interesting. But yeah, good result for the Gunners. Yeah, you know, so and definitely not their cup final. Definitely no. not. No. Yeah, like we said, City in the lead there, uh, thirty-four points. They've only 
you know, they have 11 wins and one draw in 12 played. So yeah. extremely strong there. Uh, shadowing them. Well, not really shadowing. Eight points behind Manchester United. <laughs> took a 4-1 to one win over Newcastle. Yeah, after- that, is a, that is a long end of the day, twilight hour shadow. Yeah. <laughs> Eight points behind. Exactly. And a uh, lot of things to take away from this game. Uh, they did fall behind United. Uh, Dwight Gale. Uh, scored the opening goal in this one. Assist to DeAndre Yedlin. So that's nice to see for all the U.S. soccer fans. Then it, you know, it was a... I was happy to see the way that United responded to going down in this one. I think they were, you know, Victor Lindelof was a little bit unlucky there at the goal. You know, he slipped. Um but Pogba was back in the starting lineup. We saw Slatan coming off the bench. And a lot of good things in this one. So but at the well. same <laughs> I mean at the same time though, if they don't they have to beat City when they meet up in the uh, derby for this to get at least a little bit interesting. If they okay. lo- if they lose the derby to City, I would say that it's over. Yeah, I mean it's it's a big six pointer, but that's that's probably true because even with it, even our you know, assuming United do beat City, it's City are still clear favorites, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, then it's just not that one horse race that I was just talking about. But I mean, no, but I agree with you. Like to the in many ways, if you could draw up a game to attend as a supporter. The ideal is you go one nil down, so you have that frustration, and then you have the thrill of the equalizer, the even greater thrill of, you know, taking the lead, having gone behind, and then cruising to 4-1. That's, you know, and that's uh, it's every fan's dream to watch a game like that. So those who are actually on hand uh, will be very happy with those that theater of dreams. See what I did there? Yes, very nice, very nice. Um, yeah, then Chelsea defeated West Brom 4 nothing on the road, and we got word today that Tony Pulis is out. So uh, West Brom decided to fire Tony Pulis, and uh, I don't think we're sad about this. Well, I mean, you're only sad if one of your great loves in life is seeing as many tracksuits and baseball caps as possible on the sideline, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, I, I mean he's you, you, let me first say you've got to respect him right like you you've got to give a manager who has put in the years in the most competitive league in the world the way tony pulis has his due diligence right but you also have to say that from a neutral point of view he's he's the, certainly the most negative professional manager in the premier league in recent history Maybe the most negative manager tactically in professional football generally, right? Yeah. At least at the top level, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, from a neutral perspective, it's hard to be real sad uh, to see him go, you know. It, but yeah, again, all respect to him. But hell, I, I've seen enough Stoke and West Brom one nil grinds that I'd rather see more of. Uh, the Pep Guardiola style football. Yeah, I mean that's the thing too. I mean it's so boring to watch, and it's 
I mean, it's one thing if you do end up getting the result and because then you can just point to something and saying, hey, yeah, it might be more, you know, exciting to go and watch some paint dry on the wall. But at <laughs> least we're getting the points here. He wasn't getting the points. And just looking at his track record, I mean, he's not as a manager in the Premier League. He hasn't gotten more than 47 points with the team. Yeah. And, I mean, here with West Brom, um, 29% win rate and just under one goal per game average. If you, if you look at his overall record in the Premier League, though, it's, actually, it's better than I expected, right? In, uh, I mean, and this is um, the Premier League's official stats are he's managed 322 matches, which, again, like I said, that's, that's an achievement in and of itself. Yes. Um, and of those, he has 98 wins, 93 draws, and 131 losses. So that's, I mean, that's pretty impressive. That's what, like rough, almost 50% more combined wins and draws than losses. Uh, overall, that that's not a terrible record. But again, it's, you know, when you think, we talk a lot about how the money-making machine of the Premier League has kind of grown and some would say little shop of horrors grown out of control um but the the product on offer for a tony pulis side even if they get the job done frequently as these stats say literally more often than not it's still a boring side because the last stat that they've got up there is that goals for 319 goals against 415 (laughs) yeah uh, it's not a. It's it's never going to be a side that's going to set up to wow you. It's a side that's going to be compact and well organized and maybe hit you on the break or score from a set piece, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, and it definitely hasn't worked this season. Now they're sitting in 17th place. They've scored nine goals while they've allowed 18. They have four losses in a row. So I, I understand that they needed to make a change there. I really do. So I feel like 12 games, we're far enough in. Yeah, I mean, 12 games and edge of the relegation zone, that's, again, and especially with, I mean, speaking of the money on offer in the Premier League, just how huge a payday it is to even just barely avoid relegation versus going down to the championship. I mean, the board of directors rightfully is thinking, uh, panic button now because we've got to keep this thing in the premiership if at all possible yeah that's true okay we're gonna take a little break here when we come back we'll touch upon another little news topic and then we'll take a look ahead at the champions league so stick around and we're back we also saw today that uh let me get her name correctly here amanda Staveley has submitted a formal takeover bid to Newcastle owner Mike Ashley to buy the club. So after having the club up for sale for a while here, looks like Mike Ashley will get his wish and cash out. Well, and do you, I, I must admit, I just saw the news of the, the bit had been made. I know nothing about this woman's biography. Do you know anything about her? She is a very, very uh, successful. <laughs> Besides that, she's very rich. Yes, she's a <laughs> very rich and uh, successful investment banker. So it's, 
you know, her, the company she works for or her company, uh, you know, a little bit weird of a name, but PCP Capital Partners. <laughs> oh, well. Angel Dust Incorporated. Yep. Uh, so it, it says that they've negotiated for more than two months here and. Uh, oh, boy. So this has been a long, long time in the works. Mm hmm. I, although, you know, I, I say that admittedly wholly ignorant of how long it usually does or does not take multi-billion dollar exchanges to be negotiated. Yeah, there's been rumors that it was worth in the region of 300 million pounds. Really? Less than a billion, huh? Uh, so I don't know exactly how... Uh... That, that really surprises me, to be honest. Because, I mean, even like mediocre teams in in relatively large markets in the National Football League in America are routinely worth at least one or two billion. Now granted the like as we were just talking about, the financial security of an NFL team with a combination of revenue sharing and no promotion relegation system in place is far more sturdy an investment. Yeah. So therefore, perhaps that translates more directly to the club's value. Yeah, biggest well, TV deal yeah. in sports too, right? No, the the are you talking about the Premier League? No, the NFL. Really? No. Don't they? I don't know. I, I don't think so. Maybe it, maybe they have the biggest single TV deal, but the cumulative value of. Premier League's global television rights is far more lucrative than the NFL's global reach. But I, but it, it could be. I mean, I was under the impression that the just over a billion dollar deal negotiated, well, I think two years ago for the uh, Premiership was the at least at that point the most lucrative single TV deal for all mm, sports. NFL thirty nine point six billion. Jeez. Wait, but that, but that's also, I mean, is that with a particular network or is that the cumulative rights held jointly by, you know, ESPN, ABC, CBS? Yeah, that's for, with the CBS, Fox, NBC, and ESPN. Okay. So average yearly is $4.5 billion a year. <sighs> Boy. Uh, NBA, $2.6 billion a year. But, I, but Premier that's League, what I wanted. $1.8 billion. Yeah, but that's the thing is that the Premier League is almost two billion. But that's is, if I'm not mistaken, that's just domestic television rights, or is that international television rights for the Premier League? Mm. Because it is shocking to me. To, I mean, despite the size and wealth of this nation, that American football would be overall more lucrative. Than yeah, that's domestic. The top league in the world in the world's game. Yeah, that's domestic. You're okay. Okay, absolutely right there. But yeah, but it's still, it's a lot of money. That's yeah, it's a, lot, it's, it's a mind-boggling lot of amount of money, no matter what. Yeah, but we'll see here if that goes through here, and you know, Miss Staveley can uh, buy the club here and maybe invest some real money in it. Because that was the problem with Ashley; he wasn't really, especially now lately, when he was looking to sell, he didn't want to spend more money. So therefore, Newcastle didn't do too much on the transfer market this summer, and they really needed to. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if they can get things done here sooner rather than later so that the January window is still open, they might be able to bring in some reinforcement too. So it will be interesting to see and to follow this story and see how it all ends up. Uh, let's move over to the Champions League. Uh, 
And we got games tomorrow and Wednesday. And if we take a quick look at the groups here. Group A, Manchester United. They need one point to secure advancement to the next phase. And they will, let's see here, they will play on Wednesday against Basel on the road. Basel sitting in second place. Tied on points with Sheshka Moscow. So uh, it's an important game for Basel. They don't want to drop to that third spot. They don't, they don't want to be in the Europa League. Sorry, Elliot. But they don't. <laughs> I mean, it's just... Yeah, they don't. <laughs> it's not like I'm shocked to hear that. <laughs> no, that's just how it is. Um, so yeah, that that's group eight for you right there. United at the top, 12 points. Basel, six points. Moscow, six points. And then Benfica, zero points. They've been very disappointing so far. Yeah. Uh, in Group B, it's already done and dusted. PSG and Bayern Munich, they're moving on. So it's basically a uh, battle between Celtic and Anderlecht for that third spot. Right now, Celtic in third with three points. Anderlecht, another team that has zero points. Yeah, that's that's rough for them. I I, I think, you know, you know, one of my good friends is a lifetime Anderlecht supporter and uh, season ticket holder. So they're... They're not poised even. Yeah, they're they're really not doing great. No. <laughs> but I did enjoy watching uh, them host Manchester United last season in the Europa League. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that competition that nobody wants to be in, but if you win, it's still quite nice. Exactly. I mean, now it actually means something. It's yeah, a... they, I I think they really got that right. You know, because the money on offer was never going to be able to truly compete with. You know, even some domestic cup competitions, right? Especially for teams in England. Mm-hmm. But the the chance to play in the in the Champions League, yeah, it was it was really a, a good change. Yeah, I mean, it's a trophy, and then you get the added bonus that you get to play in Champions League next season. So, yeah, very good move for them. Group C right now: Roma at the top, eight points. Chelsea second second place, seven points. Then Atletico Madrid, three points, and. Quarabag in fourth with two points. And uh, Quarabag play Chelsea at home. So it's not the easiest of away trips as far as travel goes. So we'll see what Chelsea can do in that one. And, uh, you know, Atletico, Atletico play at home to Roma. So we're really backing our way into the fixture of the week here. <laughs> mm, what do you mean? Dortmund Tottenham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll get there. We'll get there. We're going uh, chronologically here. All right. Well, no, we're not because we already talked about Wednesday and Dortmund and Tottenham play on Tuesday. You know what I mean? Group A, Group B, Group C. Oh, okay. Alphabetically. Yes, exactly. Uh, Group D, Barcelona at the top, 10 points. Juventus, second place, 7 points. Then Sporting, 4 points. And then Olympiacos, a single point. So uh, everything leans towards Barcelona and Juventus moving on there. They play each other in Italy on Wednesday. So it's uh, it's another one of those situations where, like, you know, basically a point is good enough for Barcelona. Yeah. Um, Well, mathematically, a point is good enough for Barcelona. Uh, Group E, Liverpool at the top, eight points, Sevilla. Seven points, Spartak Moscow, five points, and then Maribor 
one single point. So uh, Liverpool, you know, worst case scenario, they crash and burn. They end up in the Europa League. Uh, but if they get a win here against Sevilla tomorrow on the road, then, hey, guess what? They're in the next round. Well, and they were very convincing against uh, uh, Southampton this week. Yeah, man, did I get that one wrong. <laughs> yeah. I did not have a stellar week, but... Uh, uh, neither you nor I did. No. Somebody I mean, who's not on the podcast today might have done okay, but he's not here to talk about that, so we'll never know. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Group F, Manchester City. They are already on their way to the knockout phase. They top the group with 12 points. Chakhtar Donetsk. Uh, nine points, second place. Then Napoli in third with three points. A little bit of a shocker there that Napoli aren't doing better. And then Feyenoord, zero points. So we have three teams with zero points. Yeah, I mean, it's you know it's something that we've talked about. You know, many pundits have said over the course of the last few years is just like the group stage in the Champions League has lost a lot of its luster. Because as it expands, speaking of the money in the game and the goal of making profits, the prestige and the quality of the competition has also dropped somewhat. And again, you know, I just said, all respect to teams like Anderlecht and Olympiacos. But let's be real. We always knew that Juventus-Barcelona was going to be a two-horse race. And a couple of those teams were probably going to be coming into late November with... One or two points, if that. And then you have teams like Olympiacos with one point. Anderlecht yeah. with no points. I mean, it's it's still it's still a great competition. But I think that those teams that are the, you know, the quote-unquote whipping boys of the groups, they speak to that argument that it's really become, you know, the rich get richer and only occasionally are there true surprises. You know, I mean, I think that the... The coming into this season, we knew really the premier matchup group, and one of the few surprises, you know, in addition to Napoli not doing as well as we thought they might, would be that group with Dortmund, Tottenham, and Real Madrid, and Tottenham doing so much better than Dortmund, at least at the moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll just rabble off Group G here real quick. Besiktas in first, 10 points. Porto second with 6 points. Then Leipzig with 4 points. And Monaco with 2 points. So that group, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Besiktas, they're almost there. Uh, group H then, Tottenham. They're in first with 10 points. They've secured a uh, place in knockout phase. Real Madrid in second place with 7 points. Then Borussia Dortmund, 2 points. And Apoel Nicosia, 2 points. So Spurs already secured a spot in knockout phase. They do play Dortmund on the road tomorrow. Like you said, that's the marquee matchup here, I would say, along with uh, Atletico Madrid against Roma. Yeah. And, and Juventus-Barcelona. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. From certainly, you know, we're a Premier League podcast. So, of course, from the EPL's perspective, you know, that's the certainly the most interesting fixture with a Premiership team in it. But also, it's going to be fascinating to see how Tottenham show up, you know, having just endured, as we were talking about, a pretty comprehensive drubbing by Arsenal. You know, they didn't they didn't shellack them for four goals or anything, but Spurs never really looked like they were going to get anything from the game. Um, 
And now that they've already got qualification, I mean, are they going to coast and get caught out by Dortmund, or are they going to come out firing, looking to make up for their loss at the weekend? I, I really don't know. And also from, you know, speaking of our various vantages on this podcast, from an American perspective, it'll be interesting because Pulisic has picked up an injury, and he is serious doubt for this game. In fact, I, you know, I didn't look at the injury report today. He may have, in fact, been entirely ruled out, uh, but he didn't practice at all in the last few days. So it'll, it, it's a fascinating game. It is certainly the matchup that I will be making a point of watching during tomorrow's games. Yeah, I mean, luckily for Spurs, though, they're already through, which is a nice yeah. one for them. They don't have that pressure coming into this one after a, you know such a disheartening loss. Well, but it, but that's also what makes me... Well, it makes me interested to see how how they come out, right, and how Pochettino lines them up, and how the players themselves, once lined up by the manager, respond to that loss in the biggest derby in their schedule. Yeah. Uh, you know, that having already qualified, are they going to take their foot off the gas, and are they going to lose further momentum, or are they going to look this as an opportunity to try and redeem themselves? I mean, it's a game that I find really difficult to call both through a combination of, you know, injuries, having secured qualification and squad rotation, and just the volatility of both of these teams. Yeah, that's absolutely true. We'll see how things shake out here tomorrow. With that, we're going to say goodbye for this time. You know, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Noren. Polly is Picostel. Elliot is Keats was better. Give FanRag Sports a follow as well. And then we'll talk to you again on Thanksgiving. Until then, gobble gobble. Bye-bye.